Hello, welcome to We Don't Talk About The Weather, political discussion from the outside may just look like screaming and crying. I'm Adam and this is Hugh. Hello. And we're also here with Holly today. Hey. <laughs> um, and we're here to discuss cop shows. Yeah. Um, we did cops in the last episode. Yep, we did. Uh, and why and don't like cops. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a really good... Okay, I'm upset by this this magazine anyways. PR Week. Oh yeah, oh no, they, yeah. they all have their own... Like weekly magazines. Yeah, yeah. But um, police capitalise on the success of BBC's bodyguard with Snap Social Campaign. Counter-terrorism police have launched a Snap Social Media recruitment campaign off the back of hit BBC One drama Bodyguard, with thousands of engagements from tweets issued by at Terrorism Police. (laughs) Um, One of the things that I've been getting animated about for... Vexed. Yeah, for a while, is how all cop shows are propaganda... And TV writers should be held accountable, which is how why I've lured my TV writer wife here today <laughs> to put her on trial <laughs> and make her justify herself. Surprise! I feel like I should do a disclaimer with I have written for a cop show that will be out next year. <laughs> Please check it Don't out. Show for it. <laughs> I couldn't help it. Yeah, yeah you, do, you do have one that's coming out. But, um, I do. But, yeah, so there's, like, cop shows, ha- they're, they're, they're everywhere. Every show is a cop show. It's, a, it's one of the easiest things, to show, kind of shows to do. It's practically a genre. Well, yeah. Of its, like, in and of itself. Like, yeah. The police procedural. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and pretty much, like, I'm trying to think, like, there won't be a day of the week without a cop show on. Mm-hmm. And there's usually a big one, a big big budget one especially in this country like we won't really talk about american ones because not in america um but here there very much is usually one we know we just had bodyguard and that made us very grumpy yeah yeah um Um, but it made the police very happy so that's good it did and And it it made them look so good that they're talking about how good it made them look there was even a thing about their like it was really positive branding for them yeah yeah, it is positive branding for them to the concept that they have sex with politicians. So that help Which, that they hire PTSD-ridden soldiers. <laughs> Even if you weren't yeah. entirely on brand with police abolition, yeah. the fact that a state institution is so happy mm-hmm. about a drama mm-hmm. that involves their ostensibly their foibles, yeah. the ways that they fail, yeah. should make you very suspicious. Mm-hmm. So Jed Mercurio's. Um, First kind of cop show. He'd written like um, uh, medical programs like Bodies and things like that, hadn't he? Um, he was a doctor. He was. A, he's a qualified doctor, I think. I think he was a. Yeah, I think he was like worked in obstetrics, birthing. Yeah, <laughs> he was a birther. <laughs> well, like he he's made, not a midwife. He's he a made an entire series, two series about all the horrible things that can go wrong oh, whilst in labour. Yeah, it was brutal. really brutal. It was pretty good. It was horrible. Oh, but there were so many prosthetic good. vaginas that bled. So many. It was really, really horrifying. Really. So yeah, that but, was his big. Actually, he may have done something before that, but that felt like his big TV break yeah yeah like that got him a lot of attention mm. um and really really noticed and then but he kind of went a little bit quiet for a while after that um before line of duty fully propelled him into mm. kind of into the kind of writer where people know his name mm-hmm. which um you know as a writer that's quite exciting when people know your name <laughs> even on Gogglebox, they know his name 
Even yeah. on Gogglebox, I know his name because there was the moment on Gogglebox, which I thought was really fascinating, when the bodyguard came on, mm. and one of the people watching said, I know it's good. Let me try and get this right. I know it's good because he wrote Line of Duty and that's what makes this good. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really interesting because it was actually like, there's something to do with it. It's, he's shifted now that he doesn't actually have to be good anymore because he once did a good thing. People go, that's why it's that's good. good. That's yeah, a yeah. good thing. So like, and you know, novelists sometimes reach that point where it's kind of like, oh, yeah. it's good because the last thing they did was good kind yeah. of thing. Um, but yeah, I thought that was kind of telling. And God willing, one day you'll be there. I hope so. I would really like to reach the point where I don't have to be good anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's really the dream, isn't it? Okay, so Light of Duty, though. Yeah, I was reading an interview with um, uh, Jed Mercurio about kind of just before the first series went on BBC Do those hmm. like uh, screenwriters like workshop things that yeah, they yeah. up on their website, um, and he said the Line of Duty was in was first inspired by his thoughts on John Charles de Menezes's um, uh, shooting. Yeah. Um, he said, amidst the noise of pro and anti-police propaganda, I saw a precinct drama. It took guts for those firearms officers to enter the tube train. They genuinely believed Dimenezes was a suicide bomber. Um, yeah. It's weird. It's like, I go in, it's like, I don't want to be pro or anti-cop. I just want to tell the real story, which is pro-cop. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to tell the real story about, you know, take away the labels of cop and criminal and talk about heroes and villains. <laughs> <laughs> If you'll, notice, <laughs> if you'll notice, subtle uh, visual point in um, Line of Duty, all of the cops have white hats. <laughs> it was very difficult to get my Muslim terrorists to wear all black hats. Nine gallon Stetsons. But we did it. Realness. I also like that he's so proud of essentially just being a hack. Because it's like where other people saw a complex moral issue, I saw a TV show. Yes. <laughs> Check me out. I'm so clever for being a hack. When I saw the family set up a vigil and, and immediately saw the police set up an investigation campaign into the um, and start infiltrating the group that were investigating the shooting of John Charles Menezes, I went... Cha-ching! <laughs> and just to be really clear, he's so not original in that, that, which it's a really horrible, horrible thing about my profession, but it's like literally a week after Grenfell, you had people talking about TV ideas. Who's going to oh, do definitely. the adaptation? Yeah, absolutely. Jimmy oh. McGovern, obviously. Yeah. Um, but you know, I don't know. Oh, that, that's just my hunch because oh, yeah. he <laughs> tends to be your go to writer for sad things that happen. <laughs> Yeah. He's, he does it very well. I'm not really... It's just, you know... Um, but yeah, essentially that kind of seeing a sad situation and thinking it can be a TV series. He's, he's not new in that. that. Yeah, it's gross. And it's every production company. Yeah. They just flick through headlines and go, that one, option it. You know, oh, yeah. it's not. So yeah. Anyway, carry on, Adam. <laughs> um, uh, he said, Line of Duty is first and foremost a thriller, but I hope it will also be seen as a, re- as a revisionist commentary on 21st century policing. I have a lot of respect for our police forces. They are generally honest and effective. However, I also think as an institution that's undergone such radical changes in its practices over the last decade, the police shouldn't be above being examined in a serious drama. Um, It's weird that he thinks they're so good seeing as in Line of Duty, literally every single one of them is a liar. It's weird. Like all of them. Like The whole point of Line of Duty, if you haven't seen it, is it's... What's it? Um, AC ten. AC twelve. Twelve. The, the the cops who investigate cops. So even though you know it's like, oh look, corrupt coppers. There are other coppers who are catching the corrupt coppers. So yeah. coppers come out in the good, on like the good side. Yeah, because you're like following somebody who's 
was on site at some kind of anti-terror operation and they go in the wrong door and shoot an innocent innocent man who was holding his baby because it looks like the straps from behind are a bomb and then they realise the number's fallen off the door so they went in the wrong door and it's that's a the similar kind of way that you you get, that's how you get hit this guy gets into anti corruption okay it's um but yeah they are all liars like that's the thing like i i i didn't like the first season i watched like i think the first episode and was so upset i think it's like cuz lenny james is a great actor and yeah. he'd been in the first episode of walking dead mm-hmm. and then wasn't in it anymore which was one of the reasons i was like oh this is shit um, and so, like, and then saw him in this, and I was like, "Ooh, I'm gonna watch this." And it's like, "Oh no, there's a horrible." I've only watched like the first episode of series one and first episode of season two, just mm-hmm. in preparation. It's not really my thing. And I was especially soured after the bodyguard. <laughs> but um, the first scene with Lenny James is like him driving in a fast car to audio library, like funk. Mm-hmm. And then he goes and meets a lady friend in a cafe, and then just you just hear over it somebody going help, help, and it's a woman with a baby carriage, yep. and like there's two like muggers trying to rob whatever she has on her, and he like leaps in and fists, and it's like it's such an obvious statement that mm. this is what this show is going to be, despite the fact that we've told you it's going to be like investigation and bureaucracy. Did you get to the bit we've where he shits in a car? Film. I haven't no. Is it shitting in a car? Yeah, I think so. Lenny James yeah. does shit in something. Like of the, the anti-corruption guys. To be fair, it. that's part of his contract. Um, <laughs> he insists. Yeah, that was like... Because he's like got a gang of laddie mates. Yeah, they're such lads. Crew, it's like lads' is, bands, lads' bands. Yeah, and so the shitting in the car is part of the lads' bands. But it is also worth noting when he was talking about I have this amazing original idea because mm. a horrible thing happened in real life. He had also watched The Shield. Yeah. And series one of Line of Duty, <laughs> oh, that God, is yeah. very obvious. I think it moves beyond being a rip-off, mm-hmm. but it doesn't, but not till season not two. Till season two. And, and that, I think the, the whole Lenny James shitting in the car thing was all like, you know how like he's got his crew in the shield yeah. and they're all like corrupt, but they get the job done. It was all of that. And also tropes we've been looking at for years, you know, corrupt, but you get the job done. So again, there was yeah. like this big statement about, I'm going to say something new about the police. Mm. Just there is nothing new about corrupt, but mm. gets the job done. Well, that's that the, is the oldest. One of the things that like drives me the most insane about it because there are so many attitudes that people have about the police that's based on the TV that they see. Mm. One of them being that corrupt tr- cops get the job done rather than corrupt cops get money for themselves yeah. or rape women, mm. which is what they actually do and what they actually achieve. Mm. Um, it's you know it's the same as like the Bobby on the beat thing, which. This is Dixon and Doc Green. Mm, yeah, yeah. Didn't ever, I'm sure it didn't exist until someone <laughs> um, proves to me that the bobbies were on the beat and they walked around and they were spinning their truncheon everywhere <laughs> and whistling, definitely and whistling. whistling. Then yeah, then like, but cats. until you prove it to me, no, I don't believe you. But like the the way that Jed Mercurio like frames uh, like these heroes yeah. in uh, Line of Duty, they're kind of. Um, they have, they've got, they have the kind of um, monopoly of violence. Mm-hmm. So they are the ones who should be trusted. The kind of mechanism by which they get there is always a bit weird because, like in the past, like with the shield or something like that. I, again, I haven't watched the shield. I only know it by reputation. But it seems like in modern cop dramas, you need this development of like your 
get any like get things mm. done at any cost copper by you have to somehow justify it by having them go through trauma. So like no, with, they don't do that in the with shield. The, the shield he just tortures a guy in the yeah. first episode. So there we go. It's 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 already because changed. Because Kurt is hard. It just goes <laughs> right in with the torturing guy. I think he's a paedophile as well. He tortures a paedophile within seconds. Like episode one, scene one, a paedophile enters. <laughs> it's also though, Dennis Potter, the TV writer. People all know that, but I just said it anyway. Anyway, he and um, one of the things he said about TV was that he said that TV is a nation talking to itself, mm-hmm. and I really like that. I think that's a lot of why I like mm-hmm. TV. I think mm-hmm. there's something about the intimate nature of debate. It's like it's in your living room mm-hmm. and it's a conversation. It's not like a film which has like one statement to make. Mm-hmm. It's like it's a much more ongoing narrative. So it becomes a conversation, a debate. Mm-hmm. You can talk about in theory, especially with good TV. You can talk about smaller day to day things in a way that a film maybe can't because the film has to kind of be big and land and get people into the cinema so I think there's a real kind of intimacy there and a lovely idea of kind of TV being a debate a conversation but but also I think what happens is things shift and if you have a conversation say however many years ago where a corrupt copper in order to be lovable they had to have done something that made them lovable for example Mm, so what you were saying adam so it's like you'd have this corrupt copper but he was doing it because he wanted to save his kid so it's like his kid had been kidnapped so he did an awful thing to rescue his kid yeah but you keep moving down a narrative road to the point where that doesn't really have an impact anymore because Mm. we're also used to that trope yeah and also we've kind of we've kind of changed as a society and that's kind of why i think this is interesting because TV can be a reflection, or the culture we consume mm. is a reflection of where we're at. And we've definitely mm. shifted to a point now where you don't really need to do that anymore. And it's almost accepted mm. that, like, your corrupt cop, you don't really need to bother justifying why they are the way they are. Mm. They just are. Mm. And I think that's a really notable shift in our storytelling in, like, the last 10 years. And I think there's an interesting shift as well in terms of, like, from hero to anti-hero to just piece of shit. They do, but the piece of shit being called. I think cool, they do justify it. I think it's happened. They justify it. Think... They justify. I don't. I can't remember with the season one of Nigeria. I hated it, and so I didn't watch it. But um, season two, I liked, and um, it's mainly because um, what's her name, Keely. Keely Hawes. So she's so good in it. Yeah, um, and it's like after t- I think she's in it for like she's in it for more than one series. Yeah, well. yeah. And they justify her being a corrupt. They kind of do. They kind, kind of, of. But, but she is still a, like a, a proper little bitch. She's like, well, there's a bit, there's a bit like in the first episode, um, where it's proper enjoying her being violent. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've got, um, I've got something to say about that. Okay. <laughs> um, well, first off, I kind of know what you mean, but actually, I think they do kind of justify how she is the way she is, but it kind of comes later, actually, after they'd already decided that she was so cool, everyone loved her. Yeah, and then they kind they of bring, bring her back. They kind of bring her back, yeah. Um, but actually, what I think is really interesting about, so season two of Line of Duty with Keely Hawes, which I really like, mm. like partly because I think she is a really watchable actress and a really great character. Mm. Really great character. But I think something really interesting is going on as you watch it. So this isn't really to do with me not liking it, because I do like it. It's just that... As you're watching it, because Jed Mercurio is really obsessed with Shades of Grey, really, really obsessed with it, and he's also kind of obsessed with everyone being a liar. So in series two of Line of Duty, you've got Vicky McClure's character, and she's supposedly one of your AC-12 heroes. Mm -hmm. Um, You find out really quickly that not only was she sleeping with a married guy, but that he was married to a friend of hers, not a recent friend, someone she was friends with since being at, like, 
Police Academy. I'm sure there's a proper in, word in the, police Academy, in the police Academy movies, which would be awesome. Was it Hightower? <laughs> <laughs> They're in police kindergarten. <laughs> police Montessori. <laughs> but yeah, so she's like one of our AC12 investigative cops, mm. and she is like, as I said, it's not, you know, um, it's not just an affair. It's it's very much a kind of betrayal of a close, mm. long term friend affair. So you've got that. Then you've got the new female cop who's joined the team who is hiding her drinking and lying massively about her drink problem. Yes. Then you've got the really nice Irish guy who's head of the team who, like, I kind of want to be my dad. I think that's part of the point of his role. I love him. But he's got this huge pretense about him and his wife still being together. So he's kind of... I was going to say lying for a sweet reason. I don't know if that's right, actually, because I don't know if it's... I saw saw him in that episode. Is he Northern Irish? Because that does add yeah, another. It's filmed in, it's yeah, filmed I think in, so. Um, it's set in Belfast. Uh, oh, no, 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 no. It's not set anywhere. I believe Jed Mercurio said it was filmed in Birmingham because mm. he talked about he used to be a doctor in Selly Oak. But yes. you're actually both right. It's There's filmed. also it's funded by BBC Northern Ireland. Quite a lot is filmed in Ireland too. Ah. But it's not set in Belfast. One of the things they wanted, which fits in with his I Shades hate. of Grey thing, I know, was that he didn't want it to be set anywhere. I it's love supposed programs. to be a null space. They, you know they, I really they love? never mention it on a purpose. It's London. That have no sense mm. of space. It is yeah, London. it's horrible. It's yes, horrible. the best. Yeah. Definitely the best. Yeah. It adds um, to, they think it adds to some kind of like um, alienation because the places mm. that they are is so, they're, they're so anonymous and they're so, um, the way it's filmed is so grey and horrible that, I mean, it is obviously London. No other city, maybe outside Greater Manchester. Mm has those kind of resources that it would mm. throw at things. Um, but it adds to that kind of like, they're not part of a, they seem to think it's a way of like separating them from the normal human relations that they would otherwise go through in quote unquote real places, mm. you know? Yeah, I think that's really interesting because I think they actually did it because they wanted to appeal to everyone. Yeah. And they didn't want people in the, the North thinking it was a London show. For BBC Northern Ireland. Yes. No, that's, no it was literally that too. Because the only, and, the only police force they understand is the Met. Yeah, but when they can't it was, always have the Met. Yeah, <laughs> and when it was commissioned hmm. through BBC Northern Ireland, at the time, BBC Northern Ireland had been developing a lot of shows about Ireland hmm. and essentially... They just got nowhere with them because they were told that no one's interested. So actually it was also kind of a survival thing. So at the time, the big breakthrough things that for BBC Northern Ireland made them like get some attention were Line of Duty and The Fall, which also has nothing to do with being Irish. Um, But yeah, so they were... The low level culture war to try and wrest Northern Ireland back to the mainland. Yeah. But it was like... Um, oh yeah, it did quite well. well it was a one-off. Part, yeah. yeah, because the idea is that island's so depressing you won't want to return to it. Whereas Definitely. you know, well, that which one, is a terrible. Yeah. <laughs> that one was. I think it was written by Jimmy McGovern. Might not have been. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but yeah, yeah. there was this weird thing at the time about how not having an identity was seen as a good thing because then people would watch it from all over and having an identity <laughs> like an Irish identity was seen as a negative thing mm. for TV programmes. Mm. So when it was initially commissioned, that was a big consideration. But yeah, anyway, so back to series two. Mm. Um, so yeah, everyone, everyone's lying. So that AC12, who are supposedly the good guys, they're all lying. And then Keely Hoare's character, Lindsay Denton, is also lying. And you know she's lying right from the beginning. She 
makes a left turning, which is completely her own choice, which leads them all into an ambush. She's very quickly asked why she made the turning. She essentially says she'd done it. She said to do it. <laughs> I mean, in better dialogue than that. But that is the premise. So you know she's lying, but so is everybody else. And she just does it better. Yeah. So she very quickly shifts, not just into, not just from baddie to anti-hero, but possibly almost to hero. And that's why I think something really interesting is going on as well, because it's like you've got your corrupt cop who supposedly line of duty is kind of pushing the boundaries of how we see things. And it's like, mm-hmm. we're not just going to talk about corrupt cops. We're going to examine them. We're going to follow some of the characters who examine them. We're going to be a smart, intelligent analysis. But it still kind of takes someone who is lying and really, really corrupt and makes them ultimately kind of cool and badass and therefore heroic. Mm. And so in episode two, I think the big turnaround moment, and it's a brilliant scene, and it made me want to watch more. I remember when I first watched it, which is where she's like living in this tiny little flat because all of her money has gone to put her mum in an old people's home. So we're already feeling for her pretty hard. Also, she's been really bullied by the other male cops. So we're feeling for her there too. She eats every meal on her own, which is a small but very effective detail to make us really feel bad for her. Mm -hmm. And every evening in this small little flat, eating these little meals on her own, there's pounding techno music coming through the floor from the flat next door. And it goes on and on and on throughout the episode. And then near the end of the episode, she's lying there. She's listening to this techno music. She can't sleep. She gets up. She walks out. It's got like one of those little like outside communal areas Mm. as she walks around to the door she picks up a bottle she knocks on the door of the woman playing the techno music the woman walks to the door says what do you want she bottles her in the head and the way it's shot the way it's written the way it's acted you are on her side Mm -hmm. you are Mm -hmm. absolutely on her side and that's interesting and that's it's just worth examining that here's this cop and we're supposedly examining cops and all their flaws, but actually how you feel watching it and how you're meant to feel watching it is good. She just bottled a well, woman. Well, yes. What you end up with, um, especially with Lindsay Denton's story, is you end up, she's kind of the villain in the second season. And then... She's barely... Yeah, but you no, know no, what I mean? Like, right, she's, she's the focus of it. Of it. Yeah. She, like, don't care if like he fails mm. at making a proper villain. But this is my problem. <laughs> yeah. He's, already, he's got bored of making a copper villain. And by the end of her whole story in all of in like mm. Line of Duty, she's a hero and everything she's done is kind of justified. Mm. And that's a problem. And so like it just reinforces into people who's watching it. It's like, well, you know, cops... Are still what's, what's interesting about that is like I had watched that kind of um, early bit where, mm. you know, she's acute, she's um, under pressure mm. and she's living in the tiny flat and everything. What I did think at the time was, if you're aiming this at a firmly suburban audience, um, you're looking at the main, like we talked about it last week, the main reason cops are called in kind of various places is neighbourhood disturbance, mm. which can include, mm. you know, your neighbours playing their music too loud. Mm. And what she does is she takes her kind of a, like ability I mean she's not a frontline copper I, I don't no, think she's no she's quite senior yeah. yeah she's senior but she's like a desk person mm. she takes that the 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 abilities granted to her as a policewoman mm. and she takes it into her home and uses it to resolve domestic mm. uh, disputes that people at home are sitting there watching, yeah, I'd do that. Mm-hmm. And it's almost nothing to do with the fact that she's a policewoman other than the fact that that violence has accompanied her home and she feels justified in mm-hmm. in doing that, mm-hmm. you know? Mm. It's very... Um, 
like it's it's the way that they make her relatable, which is by making her putting her in a situation that she wouldn't be in as a cop. Yeah, they put her into mm. a situation that she is as a person. Yeah, with some mm. one of the problems, and this is one of my fundamental problems with cop shows, is if you're going to have a cop show, if you're going to have a cop as a character, you need to make them three dimensional, and you have to make them kind of likable. Yeah, um, it's one of the like the problems with like um, Breaking Bad and Sopranos. Mm. Both of their writers ended up hating how much people loved their leads because mm. they hated their leads and. The problem is, to make you carry on watching Tony Soprano, you have to make him likeable. Mm-hmm. Um, you give him his ducks that he loves and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But then people like him too much and then he's got to spend half a series make, reminding you that he's a piece of shit. Yeah. You, if you spend long enough writing them, you've got to make them kind of likeable. Then mm-hmm. you end up with people thinking that Rorschach is a hero in Watchmen. Mm-hmm. And you end up with... And that's it's a fundamental problem with when you write these people because then a corrupt copper, in general, is not a really complicated three-dimensional person. They are an abuser, a bully, mm. and they there usually isn't a root cause for mm. it. There isn't like they don't have their um, what's it the Citizen Kane, rosebud. Their rosebud. Yeah, their it's, rosebud is wow. I really like being in charge. It's less justifiable <laughs> that in some voca- in some when you're portraying some vocations rather than others mm. because all of the like like Walter White that's his mm. name isn't it yeah mm-hmm. um, he is just a teacher. He has no particular like uh, power other than his knowledge mm. that's ha- that's what he applies but he has no like state job he has no societal function mm. i mean he's a part-time teacher he does that doesn't come with any special kind of powers over other in- others mm. in society right but with police and i found that like with line of duty and with like uh, bodyguard as well they do tend to take the kind of structural element mm. out of being a policeman especially with the way that the office work is portrayed. It look like it always reminds me the line of duty of um, the thick of it. Hmm. They're all lanyards. They're all um, <laughs> like sexy lanyards, but they're still lanyards. Um, they've all they all work in those like glass offices. Mm. Most of it is going around talking to people and having meetings mm. in other rooms. Yeah, that's their investigation mm. stuff, and so it it kind of. Um, it isolates them from the huge amount of power that they actually mm. have by being part of that institution. Mm. And like I was thinking about this as well, like when we were talking about the locale, like the fact that it could be anywhere and what it does to the characters is it they live in a place, but they never feel part of that place, mm. those characters in those things. But what they do feel a part of and what is is missing is that they are part their their community is the police service, mm. the, the department that they're part of. That's their embedded culture so they're alienated and embedded at the same time Mm. but because you can't show the supreme overbearing power of the police another common thing in police procedurals the police are not portrayed as all powerful in any way as if to kind of get they're the underdog to gain sympathy yeah they Mm. always have like you know they don't have much money they don't have Mm. enough funding they don't you know they're always on their own and it's like it's the only way you can get in is making a character feel as alienated as you feel Mm. but at the same time they find their friends at work Mm. But their work mm. has to be portrayed as just another job. But also, it's a special job. Mm. It's a load of different contradictions there that mm. I, I don't feel ever get pulled off correctly. Well, they they don't because they don't want to. Yeah, yeah. They don't. They can't. You can't do a cop show where where a policeman, um, well, where a policeman solicits a blowjob from a sex worker rather than letting them get rather than mm. arresting them, mm. and gets away with it and goes back to his family and just carries on being a prick. 
It, they, you do, you because do. he has all the state power. Then you have her sense, like complain, and because of the state apparatus, she ends up disappearing. <laughs> In most films, when you have like like a Sin City, something like that, yeah. you have the comically corrupt cops. Mm. And they get away with it, not necessarily because they have state power, but because they have like power in that particular community. Yeah. At the very mm-hmm. least, they still feel embedded. They're like the local cop, mm-hmm. like um, Bullock in Batman. Mm-hmm. Like he's always portrayed in that in that yeah. way. He's taking kickbacks and all that kind of stuff. But British cop shows, because of their lack of kind of locale, they're not all of them. Not, not all of them. It's, it's, it's literally the other two only Lord of Duty. It's literally only Lord of Duty which does that. Yeah, that is yeah. because of I suppose funding. yeah, I'm specifically because of yeah, it's because of funding and it's. Also because of him as a writer, I think. Yes. Because he's so interested mm. in... Shit. Well, I think he's... It's really interesting because he... Actually, he's not interested in heroes or villains. He's interested in Except everything. Except the cops are heroes. Because the cops are heroes, ultimately. But they're always... They're never pure heroes. They're always liars. I think his view of the world is very great. It's like, everyone, everyone is a liar. Mm-hmm. Um, every place is the same. And you kind of see that in bodies as well, in like his his hospital show. Like there is definitely a point of view and an attitude towards the world mm. that he is presenting and putting out there. Mm. Um, and I just, yeah, and I don't know, maybe it's a correct view of the world, but I just, I think it's worth pausing and examining, especially because it's not only been so critically acclaimed, but also so highly rated. Mm. Like it has been a really, really massive hit. So again, there's something about like, well, why is that? Is it just because he knows how to pace is it just because we like who done it, or is there something else? Like, is there something that confirms a worldview hmm. going on in there? Like, I wonder whether he's like, to because they're very gritty, aren't they? They're mm. very, they're very dark, and they're very kind of lovely, like like Scandi Noirs are. Mm. It's like, and it substitutes an element of realness. So I wonder if he thinks he's injecting some realness back mm. into things, but it's just grittiness. It's just. Mm. Oh, he thinks he's incredibly yeah. accurate and real and true. Yeah, he went off, didn't he? he yeah, he, he went off it. on somebody oh, he who he does the had a go at, somebody, at the bodyguard. And yeah. they were only joking as well. It was literally, yeah. there was like one police interview scene where they were like, they were, it was like not a senior officer or something in yeah. the room. And because of like big, some big fan of Line of Duty essentially like just teased him and went, I know this isn't accurate because I watch so much Line of Duty and you make it so clear in your accurate police interviews that there must be a senior blah, blah, blah present. They were just joking and they were clearly a hardcore fan. Mm. And he just lost it. It was like, I think you'll find it in this situation. And it was like, don't, this is someone who likes your writing. Come on. <laughs> you, he, he was like, like, you haven't done interviews with over 20 yeah, retired police. Yeah, about it. As if that's not a very specific subset of pol- people you could call police. Yeah. <laughs> but, um... but I just think, I don't know, such a dick about it, but such a kind of, I just think there's an obsession with his work about showing something seemingly authentic, but I don't actually think it's authentic at all. In fact, the other things we're going to talk about, I think, I'd say hit much of, higher I'd on say, the authenticity. Yeah, but I'd also fun. say that cop shows, they aren't. That's the problem. They they mm-hmm. portray themselves as authentic. They try and show not of, all of a gritty them. realness. Yeah, but um, but the ones like Line mm. of Duty, they Line they of do, and actually the other ones they do, they push mm. that it's this is kind of what how it kind of works, mm. and they do it just enough to get it into your brain that this is how police work. Mm. The interesting thing is that I was looking up, and apparently after season three, there was a growing number of like police Twitter accounts, like you know the police federations or friendly mm. societies that. Um, really criticised Line of Duty. Um, well, they don't like. Th- it was even when they're told they're great. They don't like being told they're great, but <laughs> yeah, it was. There was a. I think it's like season three mm. when um, there's a cop who um, tells like tells 
a gunman to get on the ground and mm. throw the gun away and they comply and shoots him three times in the head. Mm. And there are a load of coppers online just going, oh, I guess I can't watch Line of Duty anymore. And it's like, that was the original intent of that show. It was about mm. a thing that had gone wrong. Mm. And it's like, it, that's the whole premise of the show. I don't... Yeah, well, cops are... It's, it's, the, it's not that cops necessarily... It's not that there's a direct line to what cops want and mm. then it appearing on screen. But there's like <laughs> yeah. an idealised uh, an idealised view of police that then has to be moulded into an actual dramatic vehicle mm. that is not going to make... It's not... I don't think it's simple as like it's straight propaganda. Mm. It's just the way it moulds you into thinking in split-second decisions mm. that the police are justified. The problem is, I think it is more in... And we'll talk about it with the other ones we mm. talk about as well. And the fact that nearly every other police show that's ever been made is like this. It's more insidious than straight propaganda, like something mm. like um, Starship Troopers. Yeah. Because all of them have very similar things that they all push. And that leads people into thinking that the police are there for your own good, that they're, they're not there just to protect property and keep you in line. Mm. Yeah. And... <clears throat> That even if they fuck up, they they've got their, your your interests at heart, mm. and that's not true. In um in Line of Duty in the the Keely Hawes episode, so Lindsay Denton as well as the kind of looking after her mum, mm-hmm. um eating meals on her own. She also she gets assigned this kind of missing persons job, mm. and she's the only person who's interested in looking for this teenage girl who's gone missing. There we go. And I think that's a yeah. constant thing. It's kind of like well acknowledge that the police can be really crap, but don't worry because here's this one police person who is good and who will look after your daughter if they go missing it's, and that constantly and it reassures defense. us and it comforts us but it also lies to us it's yeah. the eternal defense there's a few bad apples yeah 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 so in the next one we're going to talk about is i quite like this one um actually i quite like both of them um or most of them actually um but this one is written by a woman which is very rare mm-hmm. for british tv to have a woman especially a woman writing a cop show and the lead is a woman as well which is really weird. And she's an old woman. Hold on a second. Yeah. Don't worry. It's okay. She's seen as a viable sex object. <laughs> I knew you were getting worried. <laughs> it's all good. Um, Happy Valley. Okay. Which... I've never seen that. It's really good. Yeah? Yeah. yeah it's it is really good. good. The first out, series, out of anyway. all of them. Yeah. No, definitely. Out, out of everything we've talked about, I'd say this is and, the... Well, then, then it, yeah, it's, it's the best one out of all three that we're going to talk about. Mm. Yeah. And it's... Um, it has got a really strong sense of place, actually, to go... It's set in Yorkshire, isn't um, it? It's set in Halifax, yeah, in Yorkshire. Yeah. And and the the community is very much a part of it. Um, and it's got that kind of thing, which some TV shows do, where it's almost a character in its own right, the sense of the community. Mm. Um, they and had that. to set it in the north, of course. It couldn't be faux London for that. <laughs> no, well, I, I think she's a <laughs> different nice voice. Valley. It looks pretty. It looks mm. pretty, but, but it's, not, it's not kind of made cutesy. You know how some things are kind of like... Like there was this oh, thing chocolate called Choc- chocolate box, not chocolate heartbeat, box. That kind yeah, of thing. it's definitely not there's heartbeat. A lot of drug <laughs> um, yeah, which actually right from the very very beginning, there's there's drug addiction. Mm. So it's like everything looks pretty, but it's not like it's not sanitized. Mm. Um, it's pretty, but it's a really real place. Um, it's got really nice use of the word numpty. I mean, I'm not sure many writers can pull off the word numpty, but Sally Wainwright can. She knows exactly when to place the word numpty in a yeah. sentence to make it really land. As if she's um, used it. Yeah, as if she's used <laughs> yeah. it. It really works. And um, and Sarah Lancashire, who plays the lead, mm. um, absolutely knows how to nail the word numpty really beautifully yeah. in a sentence. And they, actually, all these things, I know that I'm kind of joking about them, but they make it massively unique in a world where actually most of our cop shows are much more of the Jed Mercurio 
grey, null and space. And especially since the killing. Especially since the killing, definitely, where you have this kind of like everything's really, really grey and everyone's morally corrupt. It's like suddenly Happy Valley comes along and people are allowed funny lines of dialogue. They're oh kind of human and real. There's colour, there's texture. <laughs> and there is, and actually, you know, you were saying she's sexually viable as well as being a granny. Actually, it's really rare to have a sexually, sexually viable grandmother. It's normally I like, I you know... know. <laughs> you turn 40 and you're not allowed to have sex mm. on TV anymore. So mm. even that is kind of like, there are a lot of elements of it which make it bold and groundbreaking, actually, mm. especially for kind of BBC One prime time. Mm. So but like the plot is like, what's um, it about? She's, yeah. she's a, like, she is a Bobby on the she's beat. 100%. Um, she she's has a, her uniform and everything. She's a WP or PC. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And the whole, the plot is her daughter killed herself after being raped and given birth. And it's, Ooh. the series starts... Oh, and um, Sarah Lancashire, she raises the her grandchild. Yeah. And the series starts with the guy who'd raped her getting out of prison okay. and moving back into town. Yeah. And that's the start. He wasn't convicted for the rape, he was convicted for something else. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah completely yeah. correct. He was conv- convicted for drug dealing. They could never convict him for the <laughs> rape. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, it's he's suddenly back mm. in her life again and it's there whether is, or not... It's also one of the only... It's it's one of those rare shows that does that some shows do because like a lot of the time you do your exposition they do it actually really well it's quite good yeah. like it starts off and there's a guy it's a drug addict having like kind of an episode in a kids park and he's covered himself in petrol and he's set himself on fire and she's trying to talk him down and she just reels off her life story to him to like disarm him <laughs> and it's like that's pretty genius actually you managed to get through the entire like description of who she is as a character and the motivation for the series what. Well, well done. In thirty seconds, and then cuts to cool music. I'm not in this park with you. You're in this park with me. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Um, but it is actually they actually use it at the BBC. I was at a thing at the BBC, like like one of these residentials that sometimes, if you're lucky, you get asked to go on, and they're pretty good. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't talk about them because <laughs> they give they'll you loads of food. They'll take them away. They'll be like, no, bad use of license fee. But essentially, they'll like take you away and give you lots of food and drink and say, think. <laughs> Oh no, they're really Create. good use of license fee. Lots of shows get made because of them. Some do. <laughs> Some do. I, you know, kind of, sort of. <laughs> I had a conversation with someone at one of those things, and that conversation led to me getting a series made. That's right. I think that um, works I think, right. I think our listeners respect the grift. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, don't worry about where your license fee is going. <laughs> But um, that opening scene from Happy Valley, like they literally show it and go, this is a, a good mm. example of how to kind of launch something. Get away and, and it kind of is kind of is cheating exposition, but it's also a brilliant statement because it is literally like, I'm a granny whose daughter's dead. I'm divorced. I'm raising a grandkid on my own. My sister's a drug addict. Bam, deal with me. Mm. And it's so different from the the kind of, you know, cops you get in most British TV shows mm. that it feels yeah. like a great proud announcement of mm. difference so like how does she differ in the way that she approaches police work she's so nice and this oh, is where whilst i love it but i also think possibly it's not that helpful in terms of how we view the police mm-hmm. because if if all bobbies on the beat were like her i would want so many bobbies on the beat <laughs> yeah. seriously she's brilliant and she's just the right mixture of like when you see her doing her job like like you open with her talking someone out of setting themselves right, on fire yeah. so she's nice and she cares but she also does it with wit she's not like overly worthy about it she's yeah. cool oh she knows everyone's name <laughs> she knows everyone's ah. name 
But again, even in a way that's beautifully delivered, it doesn't seem annoying or fake. It's just like, she mm. just does. But yeah, she's just, she's literally, every scene you see of her acting like a cop, you think, like there's even, there's a bit where like, there was like a domestic disturbance called and she goes and it's like two, and it's two drug addicts. She talks quite a lot as well about how the problem is all of the drugs in their area. It's not the people who take them. Mm. Right. So she is, you know, like her attitudes are pretty sound too. Yeah. But like she goes in and they're both like really, really off their faces. And she's just really calm about the whole thing. It's like, do you want to take the needle out of your toe now? <laughs> and like, do you want me to like, the, her way of handling everything is like, no, I think if she was, yeah, if all Bobby's on the beat were like, her Sarah Lancashire's character in Happy Valley, the world would be an amazing place. But then but she still does not. bring her bigotries and prejudices yes. in because, like, um, like we, like Adam said in the last episode about like the idea that the police just put just follow the law and enact the law completely as if they exist in a vacuum is, it's it's, it's wrong to think that they they are built up of their own prejudices mm. and bigotries, and she. Like, one of the ongoing stories is her relationship with her grandson, who she thinks is evil because he caught rape. Yeah. Because of the mm. violence of his birth, he must be an evil child. She's always convinced this. There's something mm. wrong with him. And, yeah. Well, she's... I mean, it's but good writing, is, and this is where it gets the, complicated. The thing, the thing where it's good is they admit... They, like, they that's admit That's a part it. of the show, and that's, she, that's a failing of hers. Mm. But at least they admit that, which is rare in a police show for them to admit their past, big, their past mm. experiences affects how they act. Yeah, it, it, it's mm. part other of than the, to just other than as justification. Yeah. yeah, it's part of the kind of ongoing kind of trying to convince you that it's mm. a real person. Mm-hmm. Mm. But I mean, it sounds like ultimately she's most of her function as a police woman is as more as like social worker. Yes, mm. yeah, very much that so. element which we mentioned of yeah. that doesn't have to be a police mm. like a, a copper. Yeah, that can be a social worker. But even then, the main driving force of the first series of her story is essentially a revenge show of her mm. trying to get violent, violent right, revenge okay. ah, on okay. the guy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, that's the bit where it's like, oh no, because like even it's like, yeah, we should have, coppers are like this. They're so lovely and they're sweet, and they are justified in their violence because it's violent. Mm. They're violent because that toe rag raped her yeah. daughter. And it is, as a revenge show as well, it's incredibly powerful and effective. Mm. Mm. Like, there's a kind of... There's a speech she gives in the opening episode about, essentially, because she knows this guy's out of prison, of, like, would it do any good? Like, essentially, it wouldn't bring my daughter back if Mm. I was to to do anything. But then she talks in such joyous detail about what she would like to do to him. And it is satisfying to watch. I mean, it's Mm. almost like got a Western feel, actually. Mm. Like, the whole narrative arc she goes on. Mm. Because you were so... Well, you're, like yeah, a, well, she's the cowboy, and like she's on, she's on a journey for see, justice. That's interesting. And they so you follow her on that. do. Yeah, I think so. It is interesting because that sounds a way more kind of the fact that she's a cowboy, a cowgirl, mm. a cow person. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's start that again. Um, cow pensioner. Oh, the fact that it's kind cow of like yeah. the fact that it's kind of wild west like wild west and mm. samurai stuff is mm. all the authority is all contained within a single individual mm. out mm. there there's no institutional backing there's mm. no state there to back you up but she is a paid kind of state employee mm. so that's mm. that's interesting and it's interesting that they felt that they would do that in Yorkshire 
but not do that in faux London. Mm. You know, that she's the only authority because mm. Yorkshire is the Wild West. But that, it kind of <laughs> is how they one. play it and it, and well, it no, does tie into real things. They do, but again... But she's the only, only authority on the street. Yeah, and yeah. like the yeah. first episode when she's going to talk to the, the guy who's about to set himself on fire, there is a thing of like, oh, we should wait for the proper like counsellor to arrive and it's like they're literally three hours away so she's like well I'm not going to wait for that because Mm. they're three hours away so actually it kind of it does have a kind of almost lawless feel to it yeah um, in that she is the only authority there Mm. so yeah it's really I think it's really really interesting and I think it's overall it's a great drama but it's Mm. like it's that thing of examining it's like it's a great drama but does it tell us something true she's a phenomenal character but is it telling us anything true? Mm. I think maybe, and I think it's not, actually. I think it's mm. an amazing TV drama. I don't, I think it's telling us some emotional truths. I just don't mm. think it's telling us anything true about the police. Mm. Yeah. I think there's a real truth in that, of course you'd be consumed by a need to get revenge if your daughter had been raped and then she'd killed herself. Mm. Obviously you would. Yeah. I think there's a great emotional truth which they articulate really beautifully in, and they never say she's right in the way she struggles to love her grandson. Mm because mm. of his dad and it's yeah. horrible and it's beautifully written so there's emotional truth but there's not there's not police there's truth not there's not actual truth. world truth and there's again it does kind of lean into again like people do talk about it as being authentic because yeah. it's Sally Wainwright and it's set in the north and she uses the word numpty really effectively yeah. so they're like it's such an authentic show she's a granny she doesn't look like a Hollywood actress so it's so authentic but it's like kind of but also it's not when was it on like what what a couple, years. Of years a couple of years ago. So I'm just thinking of right in the middle of the kind of um, the cupcake fascism era, to take that phrase. Um, the, maybe the like kind of two cute, the kind of, and a half years ago, something like that. Like one of the series. responses to austerity being the kind of cutification of certain things, but there still being the kind of violent logic of austerity mm. behind it. And it mm. seems like it portrays certain things about that. As you said, with the, the councillor being three hours away, which points to mm. kind of a reduction in social services. And it has to be kind of put far away from from the set, like from the metropole almost. It has mm. to be kind of put across as like a periphery region. Mm. You know, it's like, oh, I can imagine Halifax is like that, mm. you know, that kind of thing. Um, and yeah, there's a kind of like a, a, a cutification kind of hiding the violence that she wants to to do to this to this rapist. Yeah, maybe. Is that true? I don't no. know. No, 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 I don't think no. so. No. I don't think it's cute. She's very cool. She's more cool than. Oh, yeah, okay. like she's really cool. You want? She's not a cute granny. No, no she's no, a she's... hard as nails. Yeah, fascist granny. Yeah, she's but not you... cupcake fascist. She's straight state violence fascist. It's not yeah. about that. I kind of know what you mean. Like, there's a kind of coziness, maybe a little bit that kind of Vera has that ITV show. Yeah. But I think no, it's not know. that. She's cool. She's cool and she's every... badass. And you enjoy yeah. that about her so much to watch. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, definitely. But no, but she's also, it's really, I mean, to actually write someone who's badass but is also caring is incredibly hard mm-hmm. to do. Yes. And they yeah. absolutely, absolutely pulls it off. Is it ever, she's caring, loving and cool as fuck. Is it ever portrayed like she's an anti-hero? Because obviously she crosses her violin, the line. Yeah, she, she crosses the, end, crosses she the like, line. But ultimately, yeah. no, I'd say it's more like a Western in that she's yeah. the hero right, and okay. she's on a righteous journey for revenge yeah. and mm. you are with her on that journey. Yeah, so I'd say it's yeah. actually more simplistic than the kind of anti-hero tropes that okay. some cop shows explore. Yeah. I think the other reason why I kind of picked it was because like Line of Duty and Broadchurch, it was incredibly highly rated as yeah. well as well received critically. So yeah. these are actually the shows that like... like millions of people watch so it's just kind of like looking at what seeps into our consciousness Mm. and it's like happy valley the ratings were like well above soaps when it was on right 
Same with yeah, Line of Duty, same with... That's a huge yeah. sign, I think, yeah. when it's kind of like... I mean, soaps are dipping anyway, but it's like... My parents had, watched We've had a few dramas All recently, which are like, <laughs> yeah, have kind of knocked... Yeah, knocked other things off their pedestal a bit, and it, mm. it kind of comes under that category. Mm. Yeah, but yeah, and I just think... I don't know, I think leaves us feeling like we do want more Bobbies on the beat. We just want mm. them to be Sarah Lancashire. Yeah, which is... And they're not. The problem. Yeah. But yeah, so let's... We'll go to our final show now. Now, this one I thought was a piece of shit. I hate the show. I hate everything about this show. <laughs> everything about it is wrong. It shows the intellectual You didn't emptiness. hate everything. Well, no, that's the thing. It shows the intellectual <laughs> emptiness of your profession. Uh, how most <laughs> of the people in your profession are hack scumbags who haven't got a single original thought in their entire head. Um, because it's they watched The Killing and they were like, I like that. I like that a lot. Let's set it here. And kind of do that. <laughs> And it's like the start of British ones being like, oh, look, a child died. <laughs> it's okay. Here's a woman with a regional accent. Perhaps she's got a jumper. We so, are yeah, talking, of course, church. about Broadchurch. <laughs> and I didn't hate everything about it because... Um, Love Olivia Coleman. Well, yeah, everyone does. And she's amazing. Savage. She's brilliant. Yeah. She's so great in everything. Um, looking forward to the crown and becoming a staunch <laughs> monarchist and saying that the queen is amazing. Any day now. <laughs> yeah, because like, yeah, I will. I'll go like, you wow, will. yeah, the queen's awesome. <laughs> because... she's, she's definitely not like a closet Nazi evangelical Christian no. who's just... Oh, bit stupid. <laughs> She's Olivia Coleman, and you want her to be your friend. I think that's one connection I would say between like Happy Valley and Broadchurch. They're really different shows, but I think mm. that's like element of wish fulfillment. Yeah. Like with Happy Valley, with Sarah Lancashire's character Catherine, you really want her to be your friend slash granny yeah. slash best mate, mum, whatever you want her in your life. Your Bobby on the beat. I think there's a thing with Ellie who Olivia Coleman plays in Broadchurch, where you absolutely want her to be the cop that's there if something awful yeah. happens in your well, life um, she is so lovely in line of duty you want keely halls to to beat up your neighbor who's you obnoxious do, but you, you definitely don't care about the people investigating her which is interesting which yeah the ones who are supposed it's to a be lot more i always found yeah. that bit in sorry to, i'm not talking about yeah. line of duty obviously but that that whole bit in line of duty felt really mechanical mm-hmm. it felt like what's going to piss off uh suburban viewers of the show those damn kids playing their music too loud yeah, really while I'm trying to eat my heated up pasta. <laughs> my own in a dark room. And of course, what I'd like to do is go over there and bottle them. Yeah. But I'm actually just going to sit here and get, just get really annoyed. Yeah. And then like live my life through mm. through this lady. Yeah, yes. living um, vicariously. Yeah. Yeah. So Broadchurch, but I don't think which anyone... when I hear neighbours playing too loud, I want to go knock on their door <laughs> and bottle them. I don't think Broadchurch has a lot of wish fulfilment or kind of. Well, no, like you want to be her to want, be your friend. You want Ellie to be. You want her to be investigating because yeah. she cares. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing. It's it's that it's the recurring she thing. Really so there's cares. like police care about you. Yeah. And everyone else, her first scene, she comes back from holiday and she walks into the station and she's not just got a present for everyone because she's been on holiday. She's got personalised, thoughtful presents for Mm, everybody. It's like, I've got you your favourite kind of vodka. I've got you the special biscuits that you like. I've got you moisturiser for your dry hands. Mm. That's that's who she is when we first meet her. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we absolutely are with like, you. yeah, you want her. Yeah, but um, the plot board church, child body is found off the side of a cliff. Yes. And it's we very obvious Norfolk, that the child didn't... No. No. Um, um, or is it the South Coast? Southwest. I think it's Southwest, because I think it's where the writer lives. I think it's Devon, Cornwall. She has a bit of an Or Dorset. Yeah, it might does. be Dorset. Right. Okay. 
But um, like the child, it's, it's very quickly revealed that the child didn't kill themselves, that they were thrown off the top. Yeah. And so then the investigation has to happen. You've got Doctor Who's there, but he's mm-hmm. Doctor Who who's just, he's been in a bad investigation and so he's gone down to the southwest. He's got the most lazy characterisation of your standard cop show, which is that a thing happened in his past. Mm. It was a bad thing. We're not going to tell you what the thing was because we're hoping you'll be so intrigued by the thing, mm. you'll keep watching. <laughs> well, and that's all I, he's got. And he's got no other personality. What I thought was awesome about that... Like, he also only thing... cares about his job and the rules. <laughs> <laughs> what I thought was awesome about the thing that he has mm. is that it turns out, isn't it like some kind of vaguely specified heart condition. No, no, it was, a, it was an investigation that was... Yeah. That went, that no, no, up. but he's ill. He does have... Oh, he right. has, no, he, he has that as well. I know. Like, no, but the reason he's there is because he fucked up an investigation. Yeah, yeah. And, like, I, I can't even remember what I it is. I think it comes out... I stopped watching. But yeah. I think some of it comes out in series two, like yeah, the thing that yeah. happened, but it's hard to care. Yeah. But it, yeah. But that is his character. But like, like did he really has well. Very, That's why we're talking about it. Did it did do very well. I, I can, it did. I couldn't bear it. You watched it. I watched it all. I watched the second season. That I didn't pay. A, I'll admit, I didn't pay a lot. The second season. I did That's not pay a lot of attention. That's when everyone gave up. I did not because the first season is the investigation into the <laughs> murder, and then the second season is the court case. Yeah. For spoilers. I think it's been. It's it was very years old. Ago. Yeah, I think you're allowed. It's spoilers. an old. Show. I think you're allowed spoilers. Yeah. So the first season, Olivia Coleman's husband. Yeah. is the murderer. And you only see him in flashes, always in the same kind of place in the show. It's not just a murderer, it's a weird paedophile, um, though. He's, he's, a, like a he's, non, he's like a non-sexual paedophile that was just mates for this kid. Yeah, I think there was an element of kind of he was pro- he was not sure about his own sexuality and propositioning him. Like, retreating to really, really old stereotypes about closeted really? homosexual uh. men. Um but you know he had he had gotten into an argument and pushed this kid off the off the cliff. The second season is his trial and like putting Olivia Coleman through the ringer basically, yeah. because there's a certain amount of the community turning on her mm-hmm. and the court case maybe not being as open and shut mm-hmm. as she as it obviously was at the end of the of season <laughs> it was one. Such a bad yeah. It series. was so obvious. <laughs> it was but such like... an obvious stringing out of a story <laughs> for ratings. But like David Tennant's character is. He's so stereotypical because, like, it's what I was talking about earlier with, like, police are always portrayed as having access to special things that allow them, Mm -hmm. them, they are the only ones Mm -hmm. who can solve these crimes. They're the only ones that have what it takes. Mm -hmm. And at first, in early cop shows, it's like a particularly curious mind or uh, street smarts in, Mm -hmm. like, very old um, things. They have a special skill. They have a superpower. Mm. And as time has gone on, probably... I don't know when to date it from when this started happening. But it seems like trauma mm. is the superpower mm-hmm. that they oh, have. Definitely. So with David Tennant, he has, he's a very harsh, rough-tongued cop mm. who is justified he has a superpower because he has trauma. Mm. So he, that's where like his knowledge or his methods come from. He has looked into the, the void and the void has looked back and now he is the only one who can look at this fingerprint slide. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's a that's very why, weird thing. And that's thing what sinks in with like, that's why we need them. It's like yeah. that, like and how a society, okay a bit broken. how mm. a society portrays its supermen, mm. its yeah. superwomen, and what powers it sees fit to grant them and where they come from is very, very telling. I mean, mm. it happens in superhero comics, obviously, but with police being kind of grown up superheroes mm. as they're portrayed in TV, mm-hmm. 
the fact that in the bodyguard his superpower comes from PTSD and drinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In uh, Broadchurch it comes from I've I've fucked up. I've seen a horrible thing, mm. and I've got a heart condition, and mm. I drink. Mm. And it's yeah, it's, it's an so odd one. really. I think Broadchurch as well. Is, it's pretty sexist in its kind of assumptions very, as well. Like in a way, very. like Happy Valley felt like it was really kicking against some of that old sexism stuff you get in yeah. cop shows. Whereas Broadchurch is so much like he's got the dark troubled past because he's the guy and he can face up to the difficult truth. Yeah. She's all hugs. It's like he's what a, a woman can give, yeah. and it's like at the beginning, it's you kind of play a little bit with like she didn't get the promotion that maybe she should have got, but then it's mm. like no, of course she shouldn't have got it. Because, because she's too much of a hugger. She's too much of a well, hugger. She she's got too many feelings. Because she was too busy yeah. hugging him. Yeah. Rather than investigating him. Yeah. Which she would have if she'd seen things. <laughs> if she'd seen things. <laughs> yeah. So you don't want your cops to be nice. That's it. Yeah, no, well, ultimately. No, it, no, it, well, they're not going to solve it in the same well, no, way. Because does, it she, shows... does she solve it? Who well, they do it, it together. So I guess um, it's kind. I guess the argument is kind of... Like, she needs him, ultimately. Because you begin with her too and he comes in. So it's like she needs his, like... He's the one who cuts traumatized down. view of the world in order to so realize women, her husband. Soft, gentle, soft, women gentle folk present leave giving the cold, huggers. logical mind yes. of a man. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah. That it is, was something that, that was deconstructed in X Files like 25 years mm. ago, where Scully is the cold, methodical yeah. one, yeah. and Mulder is the one who believes yeah. literally anything he sees yeah. as soon as he does it, and he talks to people. It's, it's X Files. It's so good. So good. Yeah. <laughs> But no, no, but no. Yeah. That, does, that does speak to the dichotomy in um, in cop shows generally, as we mm. were t- kind of talking about last week. In that the police have very effectively um, molded their their forward facing people, the people who they mm. put out in the world, into two types, mm. and they have the PR people, the community relations people, and they mm. have the like the bruisers, mm. Mm. and that was refined over kind of a hundred years of putting people out and having them on the streets to police like. Uh, because they're not policing crime, they're policing problem communities. Mm-hmm. So you do need to smooth that over because otherwise you're going to mm. have rebellions mm. and uprisings and things like that. And like it's kind of evolved into this into this weird situation where it's now their main defence. Mm. Whereby mm. if the if a police person does something bad, they already have ready-made PR people and community relations people to go out and smooth it over. Mm. And that's what kind of Broadchurch has to to a certain extent. Like, she's the one bringing emotional logic mm. to things and saying, well, that's not how people act. And he's the kind of... I wouldn't say he's got a kind of autistic edge to him, but he does have that very kind of... Like like you say, like mm. cold, logical mm. kind of that approach to things. feelings. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's I think that police shows pretty, but they could... They take all the blame for putting forward autism as a magic power. Yes, very um, much so. I mean, Doctor shows a little bit too. Yeah, yeah. Like, kind yeah, of yeah, like House. Thinking of yeah. House and then yeah. even Sherlock and Terrible yeah. Betrayal. Things like that. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. I think Broadchurch is a little more like X-Files because it is, as opposed to one person living in their community, it is, I mean, there is obviously Olivia Coleman very embedded mm. in her community, but then there's David Tennant kind it's of just coming, coming in. in from outside yeah. and providing the necessary objectivity to do what but needs to be done. Even that, like the there's un- much more the, of an FBI turning up on your doorstep and coming into mm, a community and, so and unveiling just the killing. underneath underneath <laughs> it's all of just the, the killing. Underneath Except all of instead the, of him being a drug addict, he's 
and that's it. Like he was a former undercover cop who was like yeah. got a drug addiction. Yeah, he's Doctor Who, and but, he didn't regenerate. Probably. But Hugh, some people can't be bothered to read subtitles. Yeah, but and they did an American like, one. They but some did. Some people don't like American accents. You're right, yeah. and ITV's got to fill up that schedule somehow. <laughs> And people, a lot of people watched it because they got really, they they got really, really caught up in the whodunit. Mm. They also got, one of the things that made it work, I think, was because before Broadchurch, like the trend before that had been very story of the week heavy. So it was like, there's a crime, it's solved, you move on. There's a crime, it's solved, you moved on. And that was just what was like Mm. really, really in fashion. Mm. And then the writer of Broadchurch cleverly watched the killing. Mm. <laughs> and learnt from the killing that actually people quite like being invested in a story over a long period of time. Mm. And they quite like investing in the family and whether or not they heal. And I think Broadchurch, the things it had going for it was people were invested in the whodunit and it wasn't solved within one week so the audience figures went up but they were also invested in the family and how they would cope and how they would survive whereas previously a lot of TV apart from the Scandi stuff which it copied had shied away from that so it's like you don't ever spend too much time looking at the grieving mum because she's too sad whereas Broadchurch was like no it's okay and we're really going to go in hard on the grieving mum to the point that now I think we've seen so much TV since Broadchurch of following the grieving mum that, you know, I'm kind of done with it. I'd be okay with going back to story of the week where everything's fixed quickly. But at the time, it was like, wow, what a revelation. We're actually going to like hang out and experience this person's grief. And those things really made it, I think they're part of why it rated well. Um, But then, yeah, but then I guess then it's interesting to kind of analyse what we took away from it, it being this really high rated show in terms of how we feel about the police. And is again, it's, is it kind of like reinforcing that they give that they give because they, they, they really care, and they care. Can solve a crime? Although <laughs> well, yeah, well, it did take well, them a lot the, of episodes. Yeah, but I mean that's the common thing among all these cop shows is that there's absolutely there's not a there's they're not about small crimes. No, no. Mm. And in Line of Duty, it takes it to a huge extent mm. by it being about like a, quite a bit about terrorism. Uh, you know, do you know what I mean? Like a big criminal international criminal It's a paedophile ring. It's because guns uh, because and then, like that, yeah. then all the stuff started coming out, yeah, and yeah. so then it became about a paedophile ring yeah. because Jeb Mercurio is a hack. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think one of the problems with the with like Broadchurch with it being over like one investigation mm. over a whole series rather than investigation one episode week, after another, yeah. yeah. Um, is that then because they want they need more shows, but they're mm. hacks. And they've got nothing to write about, and they've got to keep the same characters. They have to just drag it out even longer. Mm-hmm. And what it does in Broadchurch is like, even when you know that the criminal, who's the criminal, mm-hmm. even when the police really know, and we've reinforced that they really know, still might get away with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, very much so. Like, there's a very, real uh, emphasis on how corrupt the courts are mm-hmm. in the second season. Like, uh, high priced lawyers mm-hmm. can talk somebody out of yeah. stuff. It's, it's anti. It's quite anti-liberal institutions in a very traditional way. Yeah. Like, you know, oh, police can't do this because their hands are tied by yeah. those mm. higher up. And yeah. it's very weird. It reinforces a, a lot of... Yeah, well, I was going to say, it reinforces a lot of traditional views, a lot of traditional yeah. views about men and women, um, a lot of traditional views, like, well, not traditional, wrong, horrible, old-fashioned views about being gay, yeah. and a lot of traditional views about, like, you know, all these liberal, mm. educated types with their fancy words. <laughs> But don't worry. <laughs> They'll use their fancy language to like get criminals off. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so So those are the like the free shows we want to talk about. We talked about just these free because they're like recent 
they're and they're really successful. Mm. Like they're not all the ones that I'd like to watch or they're talk very, about. Really, they're very specific models of cop as well. Yeah, they? well, and um, they're the most successful critically and ratings wise. They're the yeah. ones that had the most impact, and that's why I kind of want to talk about them because this these programs do have an impact on how people think and act. And Adam found yeah, this a, study. Yeah, there was this study uh, called The Role of Entertainment Media in Perceptions of Police Use of Force. It was by Kathleen Donovan, uh, Professor of Political Science at St. John Fisher College in New York. Um, one of the things she talks about is the largest impact on perceptions from people who've watched TV crime dramas is on how effective they are. So in the content that she says, in the content analysis, the way police are shown in these shows is that they're incredibly effective. They're really, really good at their jobs. The clearance rate is the official statistic used by police departments, which is you make an arrest for a crime. These police departments in these shows are having clearance rates of 90% and above. The reality is that it's nowhere near that. It's no fault of the police department, it's just that crime is complicated. Murder, which tends to be the most popular crime committed on these shows, the police departments do have a pretty good clearance rate on that of 50 to 60%. But if you're looking across all crimes it's looking more like 25% um, the other big thing they looked at was the use of force and misconduct a lot of the shows were showing police officers engaging in force obviously this is in America where yeah. you have a lot more kind of emphasis on police using force in everyday situations which is only just ballooning mm. over there um, and a lot of the shows were showing police officers engaging in force and the way that force was portrayed was such that it was necessary. The suspect is a bad guy, we just need to beat it out of him. It's all almost always portrayed in a justified light. Um, the ends justify the means. The ends justify the means. We also found that people who watched these shows also thought that these police officers were likely to use force only when necessary and that misconduct is not really a problem, particularly when it comes to false confessions. So in general, viewers of these shows tend to have very pro-police attitudes. You know, yeah. it's um, and it funnels into how juries work. Yeah. Why you do not get policemen going to prison for committing violent crimes? Yeah, and they must do because they do. <laughs> they do do it. I mean, is there a general like? What's the kind of? Is there a kind of bill, a version of the bill on at the moment that deals with like police across the board? I feel like Line of Duty and, I mean, less so Happy Valley from what mm. you described, mm. and Broadchurch as well. They're very specific, very, like, high-level crimes. Yeah, it's in always high-level crimes. It, it almost, they, it's, it's almost like, obviously you choose it because it's interesting and it's, mm. it's kind of um, uh, vicarious to look in on that because you never get to see that. But it's also a method of adjusting the viewer's perceptions of what is allowable mm. because of course if you had like they always set up the terrorist mm. kind of mm. uh, yeah, thing you're, you're torturing murder, them because they're going to set off a bomb or mm. paedophile or rape yeah. these are things that justify disproportionate responses mm. from the police and put them in extraordinary circumstances mm. and of course if you've been with a police character this whole time you're naturally going to to root for them mm. you know it's a it's a it's a very calculated thing I think I I did kind of prefer the bill when it's like you're dealing with a shoplifter and they just yeah. go to prison yes. for a little bit do you know yeah. what I mean it's it's a lot mm. more kind of well even then they'd have a shop it's I, lower I, stakes and I, the stakes long, were adjusted appropriately it was a long time ago when I watched the bill it's been got off TV for a long time and I, I only watched it when I was really little but like I'm pretty certain I remember it would be like there's a shoplifter they get yeah. chased they get caught and they've got a drug problem they go around someone's flat that's usually like a justification for the criminal and they've got a the girlfriend and yeah yeah but like um, one of my things is, like the police, ideally, I wouldn't have cop shows. Yeah. <laughs> I'd just have them gone. All gone for two reasons. One, 
it's propaganda. They always are, and they always will be, because you can't write a three-dimensional cop. You can't write them without making you kind of root for them. And mm. I don't, I don't think you should be writing that stuff. Um, and also, I'm bored of cop shows. I'm really bored of them. Very, very much bored of cop shows. No more. Of so, them when you're in power, what are you going to use to actually shut down these shows? Because you'll have abolished the police. Yeah, but I'll have the Okrana. <laughs> Your cultural police. <laughs> yes. Yeah, or I'll have my my twenty genetically enhanced large sons. <laughs> Um, that I would have, they they would have been stolen from me, and shifted across the country, and I would have found them and brought them all to me, and then used them to, well, that's how it works. But um, actually, the main thing as well that because I I understand they're not going to ban TV shows, TV shows <laughs> as much as they should ban TV. I mean, then we'd be hungry. Look, let's be let's be real here, right? They're not going to ban TV on my say so. Okay? They should, but they're not going. Okay, to. they're not going to ban cop shows. Or they're not going to stop making cop shows because it's easy as hell for them to make it. Yeah. And so they'll always be doing it. Um, but I do think that writers have a lot... They should be more analytical of what they're putting out in the world. I think it's very important what a writer puts out in the world um, because there is definite... There's, they, they have... Like that study has... It has consequences. It's like with, in America, using jack bauer to justify torture mm, yeah you know these these things have real world consequences and i don't think enough writers do take on board what they're doing um and just think about it. it's not just the writers it's everyone involved in it um obviously jed mercurio really does and he's very very sure of what he's doing and that is that cops are great i think there's like a there's... and he's clever yeah, and that is an old, another thing he really wants the world to be aware of yeah there is a larger point to be made i think about the the Increasing disconnection of somewhat liberal writers, the, what what would be characterised as like the liberal culture, like the cultural elite in a country, right? Mm-hmm. Civil society. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who shape the the nature of mm. the hegemony under which yeah. we live. And I don't know if you've noticed, but the world is getting quite close to a sort of brink. Mm. And the idea that writers increasingly looking for a selling point go to more and more extreme cases mm. and more and more extreme justifications for mm. very very extreme violence mm. is a worrying thing and it's a di- I, I do think it, it's rooted in a kind of disconnection from a society's intelligentsia from the impact of what they're doing because yeah. it's mm. it's largely commercial you have to yeah. you have to write because if you're not writing that next big hit you're you're not really succeeding as a writer which yeah. i can understand but i think is a larger social process that's going yeah. on as well mm. you know yeah mm. yeah absolutely yeah i yeah. Totally, yeah i don't know having been in some of those meetings um it's rare that someone's thinking about what they're putting out into the world. Mm. They're just thinking yeah. about having it hit how do i get this made and how do, and I, how do I get I this made and i think there were there were examples of shows that dug just a little bit deeper. Mm. Um, like, I mean, it was a while ago, but Cracker, where it was really obsessed not just with not just with who done it, but why they done it, which was like, actually, I think, Jimmy McGovern, yeah. that was actually what he said, was like, why did they do it? And I think it's like, if you at least allow the time and attention on the criminals as well and allow them yes. to be three-dimensional and complex yeah. and have an you know, detailed backstory. Um, but why the least, wire was so successful. Yeah, I think so. I think there's a lot to be said for that, then you're at least kind of balancing it out a little bit. But yeah. I, yeah. But I also think, I don't know, I also think it's an argument that like media studies should be mandatory. That's what I do. Yeah. Because I think it's important to interrogate what we watch and the messages yeah. that are sinking in. It's mm. not just entertainment. It And the Dennis Potter thing I said earlier, 
TV is a nation talking to itself. Mm. Another thing with that, which I believe, but it's quite a small pe- small amount of privileged people at the moment having yeah. that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen that shift as well. Like when I was first writing, it was more diverse than it is now. Mm. Like I think just because of the way it hasn't even been that long, but it's, it's to do with the access points. It's like more and more now, essentially more and more now, writers starting out are expected to work for free for so long. That wasn't really happening when I started. I got paid. I didn't get paid much, but I could eat. Yeah. Whereas already it's like, you need writers like who can like not make a living for a couple of years, which means they are very well off people. So which, there's yeah, a definite shift, which does, which means that, so the people who are telling everyone else how to think and how to feel about the police, they're quite a small group of people mm. with quite set attitudes. Yeah. And so it's just worth, yeah, I don't know, interrogating all of those messages mm. that like sink in when we're kind of, feeling a bit lazy and like we want to binge something but yeah speaking of which um do you want to there is holly's show? holly's show that she wrote <laughs> like all of your shows all, so all of my well, shows no, yes. well no, holly's got a show coming out well an episode that she wrote on a cop show that's going to be on bbc soon um <laughs> trapped what is it um, it's an Icelandic cop show because yeah. you know if you're going to do <laughs> a Scandi Noir my wife is a... do a Scandi Noir rather yeah. than copy a Scandi Noir that's my motto and I'm, I mean it wasn't it was just an, a show I wrote an episode of it so I wasn't lead writer on it hmm. as opposed to my other show which is coming out next year which I'll maybe say well, something closer to the time yeah yeah maybe pimp yeah. closer to okay. the time with that one I don't know I think you do have to interrogate what you do I guess I hope that, like I was saying before, that it unpicks the reason why the crime happens and doesn't just... Would you please address the bench? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I'd hope that even though it does depict the cops as good at their jobs and complicated and flawed, because that makes interesting characters, obviously. Mm. I I hope that it also depicts the reasons for the crime um, in something that has something to say about the larger society. I hope. I hope so. Because, yeah. you know, I don't want to be, like, one of these people who just makes the world worse. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so that's us for this week. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can follow us at WDTATW underscore podcast. You can follow me at BM Bergamo and follow Hugh at Tanner Smashing. And we'll see you next week. Bye. 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 about the fighting game when Mr. Hoover said to cut my